The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So we just uh, finished interviewing a, a, the an up and coming, high level competitor, super high level, serious in, badass in the no gi uh, grappling world. Uh, he's been called uh, one of the like someone you need to watch, like one of the best pound for pound. Oh, if you're into grapplers ju- in the if world, if you're into jujitsu, you definitely yeah, you know already who, know who this you know is. who Gary is yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you're into jujitsu, Gary Tonin, uh, great. Awesome time talking with the guy. Great insight. He talks a lot about his training. Talks about his philosophies with training. What got him into jujitsu? Um, how he you know works out? Uh, what it's like to be so focused on being the best in the world? Talks a little bit about the politics in that world. Um, it's a great interview. We had a good time with this guy. He's a fellow Chimera Coffee um, athlete, um, and uh, just again, great guy. You can find him on Twitter at Gary underscore Tonin. Instagram is Gary Tonin, and his Facebook fan page is Gary the Lion Killer Tonin. They call him the Lion Killer because I guess he likes to go after. I think it's important like to note dudes. his spelling of his name. Gary is spelled different. Gary is spelled with two R's, so it's G A R R Y, and then Tonin is T O N O N. So his Twitter is Gary underscore Tonin. His Instagram is Gary Tonin. His Facebook fan page is Gary the Lion Killer Tonin. So it's an that's it. Make sure you get that extra R in there when doing Gary. He's uh, also he's, spon- he's sponsored by Muscle Farm too, which is really cool. He's got a, he was rocking his uh, rash guard that was uh, his other sponsor by Armbar Soap, uh, which is I, I mean I, when he explained that to me, just an antibacterial with like uh, tea tree oil, so that's for ringworm and wrestlers. A real popular soap. Yeah, that's kind of a problem in the grappling world. Okay. Uh, you know, fungal infections and of course the dreaded staff. Mm. Infection, which has actually actually killed some uh, some grapplers out there. So, so. he's sponsored by that armbar yeah. soap, and then Studio Five Forty. So those are the main places that uh, you can find him. Was an awesome time uh, interviewing this guy. Uh, you know what? Every time we meet somebody that was tied to Chimera, it just reminds me of how much uh, why I like this company mm-hmm. so much. It's just you he's can, a bright kid for sure. Yeah, they, and they I really feel like they did their homework on everybody that they sponsored. I mean, they're just everybody seems to be really good people, smart businessmen. They're all up and coming killers are already I mean, he's already world class. I mean he's not yeah. I mean he's up and coming in the sense that this guy is just going to continue to grow his fame and continue to grow in the sport. But I mean he's already a fucking badass. So. And of course if you go to mindpumpmedia.com there's a link there. You can get Camara at a discount. So uh, without any further ado, here we are interviewing Gary Tonin. The only uncomfortable part of the, about the Joe Rogan experience was somehow they they ended up talking about women watching gay porn, and then they wanted me to weigh in on it, and I was just like, no comment. I'm, this is, I'm going to be silent for this one. I'm going to take a back seat. God damn it. I want to watch that episode. I know. <laughs> somehow that ended up coming out of somebody's mouth, and I was just like, nope. Yep. I'm just going to sit here silently. This took one. a left dude, really. that's like a It thing. comes up. You I know? told you guys that's like a thing now, dude. Did I tell you guys about it that? Is, it is a thing. No. I met a chick. Yes, it yeah, is, dude. Bro, Oh, it's a thing. It's a thing. What? 100%. 
How, it's, how, do, how do I not know this? Oh, so, so it, okay, here's the thing that you got to consider, it's right? Right after Gary mm. says, I, don't, <laughs> I didn't want to go down yeah. this We're going to do the yeah. whole episode. We're going to go, right. this. We're gonna go right. ahead and go it's down this road. It's too late now. It happened the last podcast. <laughs> You've opened up the box. Time. It's your dude. fault, Gary. You brought it up. So it, I did. Because guys watch two girls all the time. This is how one of my, this, one of my clients told me, because she watches. This is a long time ago. She says, look, guys watch two girls. Why can't I watch two guys doing it? Yeah. So here's my thing. Is she I'm, a single lady or... She uh, with somebody? No, she's she's she was married. She's, okay, she's straight. She's yeah, I've heard of okay. both situations right. for sure. Yeah, and mm. and so I was like, well, knowing guys, once it gets popular, there's gonna be a bunch of dudes making out at bars trying to get girls' attention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guys. You know how guys are. Like, don't I don't know. Bro, <laughs> like, no, no. listen, okay, bro. I don't, I don't know. Uh, there's some lines we need that to I, do I'm this. gonna draw for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, according to the chick I was talking to, she just goes like, well, the like male porn, it like. Male female porn is like so so focused on the needs of the guy, so it's just like looking at the chick and like you know what I mean. So it's it's made for men, yeah. You know, essentially. So I guess like in some way, the gay porn is more satisfying for them because it's just solely surrounded on focused on <laughs> that makes men yeah. that makes sense. I get it. That makes I mean? sense. It's still super weird hmm. for me to think. I mean, yeah. like my, when when I think about my own porn interests, I'm not interested really too much in watching like two chicks hmm. very often either. So that seems weird to me, but it is what it is. I mean, I guess everybody has their own shit. But. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> the weird, the weird part is when your boy looks at you at the bar sometime and sees a group of hot chicks over and he leans over to kiss you because he's like, dude, let's try and turn these bitches on. <laughs> Right here. <laughs> how, how do you react to that? Running away from that situation. Yeah. For She's sure. like, it's guaranteed. Trust me, they'll totally yeah. be turned on by us. Yeah, we made a pact. I'll be like, listen, I'm going to try the harder way because I'm not going the easy route. Hey, so you guys are in, uh, Gary, you guys are in town right now. You guys, where are you coming over from right now? San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. We were originally in Portland. Uh, then uh, we flew into San Francisco uh, because uh, I wanted to get a training camp in. Uh, with Jake Shields prior oh, awesome. to this next match. Yeah, so, well, what would have normally happened is I would have just went home between. But the problem is, it's like I lose so much time in travel, I just lose a couple training days. And I'm literally, I competed Sunday, and then the next event's on a Friday. So it's like less than a week to even prepare. So I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll stay out on the West Coast. Uh, I got good training with Jake Shields. We'll get that done, and then I'll fly over to LA, and we'll get that uh, next competition. So let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. you, you'd only really be missing, like you said, a couple days of training. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you, uh, you've been known as a fanatic, right? A training fanatic two, three times a day. Yeah. Yeah. Super consistent. How mm-hmm. important do you think that is for your success for, you know, cause you've done very, very well over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a big part of it? Just constantly doing these moves and positions over and over yeah. again? Absolutely necessary for me. Uh, I, you know, everybody's a little different. Like some people like leading up to a competition, Oh, they like to take like a couple days off or whatever, try to get their body healthy. But for me, I find it much more important to keep myself mentally stimulated. It's not even so much the physical activity, but to just keep my mind in what I'm doing. Because I do believe that the approach that we take to jujitsu is extremely cognitive. So if I'm, if I'm not in it mentally and like thinking about the movements that I'm going to be doing and going through those processes. I mean, it is, there's obviously a physical connection because I have to be doing it physically as well. I can't just sit there and like think about it to myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, get your ass not, kicked that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to physically do it as well. But without doing that, I always felt like if I took like a day off before a competition, cause I've been doing this for a long time and I've tried everything, you know what I mean? As far as preparing for a competition is concerned. And anytime I would do that, I would feel the first time I went to go grapple somebody, I would just feel like I was lost, mm. you know, cause I hadn't been doing it in a day and it's just, it's all a little weird, you know, familiarity. Yeah. 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 I, they, they say, uh, and so I trained years ago, I did it for about 
six years, r- relatively consistently, not like you. I trained maybe three, sure. three to four days a week at the most. Sure. And uh, one thing that I noticed, because then I, I would do some kickboxing, I did some boxing, I've done judo, a little bit of wrestling. Jiu-jitsu guys seem to be uh, much more, and this is a stereotype of jiu-jitsu, very cerebral. Sure. You see a lot of really smart. Do they call it like chess, right? Like sure, the sure. chess of uh, is that is that seem accurate to you? It depends. <laughs> it depends on who <laughs> you're talking to. There are some people that take a very cerebral approach, uh, and then there are others who take a uh, much more uh, machismo approach to like <laughs> jujitsu. It has sure. to say like who? like who. Uh, there's like, there's a lot of guys in the sport that I think. Uh, you know, obviously, the technical level still hasn't it has to be there, but focus a lot more on you know like just getting you know, bigger physically and letting that be the way that leads them to victory, you know? And, uh, I mean, to be fair, you can't really argue with it. It's worked for these guys. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, far be it for me to say that, uh, you know, uh, being, uh, huge physical specimens isn't going to help these guys become more dangerous. I mean, because when you think about it, and this is what our coach says as well, I mean, yeah, we all love to believe in this perfect world that like, Technique is just no, you know, technique is going to be king. Like if you just train hard enough and you practice hard enough and you figure things out, like, you know, you're going to be able to overcome like these, these strong dudes. And that's the, that's the mental image. All of us get when we first start training jujitsu, we're like, yeah, that's what I'm attracted to. Like, I want to be able to beat like the big guy, Mm. you know, but ultimately those skills combined with strength are what allow us to get things done. The our skills aligned with our attributes. So, I mean, you got these guys severely increasing their attributes. And at a certain point you take a fucking 150 pound dude and you put him up against a silverback gorilla. I don't care how much, <laughs> how much strength you, you got. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That <laughs> silverback's going to crush your skull. Mm. It's going to toy with you like a small child. So, I mean, you know, it strength and size certainly matter. Um, but I'm just doing the best I can to take my approach. I wasn't giving, given those attributes and I'm not going to go through artificial means to get them like steroids, et cetera. So, uh, I'm going to focus on what I've gotten and, uh, try to make the most of it and try to find a way to overcome, you know, these guys strength and size. And that's a lot of what, uh, you know, I focus my uh, efforts on. Gary, how, how popular is that within jujitsu? Is there a lot of guys that are, are taking synthetics to get yeah. the competitive edge? Do you, do you feel like more than half, less than half. How many? How is many? The do- testing is as strict as like USADA and all that. Or is it just not? Yeah, you laugh. Yeah. So, there so we that's go. A, that's the thing, man. It's it's huge because it's not a it's not really illegal in most mainstream okay. competition. Like it is quote unquote, but you have one competition I believe that actually tests for it, and that's the Gi World Championships. Mm. Uh, and they test, and not only you know when you're going to get tested, and only the let's see what is it? Uh, I think it's like all the medal holders. Uh, it's 10 of the potential medal holders. So first, second, and they give out two thirds instead of there's no, there's no fight for the third place match. So out of four dudes in every category, they're going to take 10 guys and test them. And you know what I mean? It's like, they know when they're going to get tested. It's unbelievably easy for them to cheat that process. It's expensive. Although a couple people have gotten caught, which is <laughs> bewildering to me <laughs> that they were able to get caught. Well, maybe that means that, that, that there's though. that much of it. Cause when there's yeah. that much of it, guys get lazy and they're like, whatever. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, everybody's yeah. doing it. Who gives a fuck? I'm not even paying attention. Yeah. So, and I can't even really complain about it because in, in a sport where they, where it's not really illegal, like, 
but you know, far be it for me to like say like you mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing this. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, if you want, that's the way you want to get your competitive edge. Go for it. You know, it's just not what I want to focus my efforts on. And honestly, I don't know enough about it to do it safely. Mm. So like, because I mean, you could really screw yourself up. You know, taking uh, you know testosterone or growth or whatever the case may be if you don't know what you're doing. So I mean, I don't have the money or the or mm-hmm. the know how to uh, to get that that kind of stuff done in a safe manner where I'm not going to like die. So and you do see <laughs> you do see especially uh, like in. Uh, in some countries where yeah. it's much more accepted, like in sure. Bra- like Brazil, it's it's generally more accepted to use to do plastic surgery, sure. take anabolic steroids, sure. inject yourself with you know synthol and all these oils sure. and shit to look a certain way. And you see some of these uh-huh. these grapplers, and you're like, wow, <laughs> you're either you're either the most genetically gifted person I've ever seen in my life, or, or you're on not. some steroids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I mean, definitely, it's like a. I don't believe it's, I, I, I don't, I, I, far be it for me to say the laws of Brazil. I don't, you know, I've only been there once. Um, I assume it's not illegal or if it is, it's, you know, it's just not monitored at all. Um, so, I mean, in a country where it's not even illegal, I mean, why would anybody, they don't hold the same stigmas that perhaps we would in the United States against that, which I totally understand. It's a total cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not to say that there's not Americans in the sport using steroids because there definitely is. Um, and many of the ones that chose to do it, you find able to match the skill and abilities of those, uh, you know, same Brazilian guys that were taking steroids for the longest time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's rampant. So yeah. Gary, when you, when you stand across a guy and, and mm-hmm. you know, or possibly know already, like this guy take is taking shit, whether sure, it sure. looks like it or, you know, is there, there's an extra bit of competitiveness that comes mm. out of you? Like you want that because being a natural guy, being the badass that you are, sure. do you feel like, I'm gonna. I want to step it up a little bit, right? Do you want to whoop his ass more because of that? Do you feel that? Not, not really, man. You know, it's it's like I, I, I just, I, I'm trying to take on like the most difficult challenges that I can, and uh, not doing the same things that those guys are doing. Uh, you know, you could say puts me at a disadvantage or whatever the case may be. Um, but that's like another part of the challenge. It just makes it more difficult for me. Um, and it makes me have to work harder to find more technical ways to get around these guys' strengths and things. So it's it's just more it's more exciting to me. I don't get like angry about it. I'm not pissed that the guy across from me takes steroids or anything like that. Um, because again, really, it's not illegal in my sport. So I can't really make too much of an argument for it. You know, mm-hmm. if I if I could argue anything, I would have to argue for we should make it illegal or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not really too interested in that. But yeah, it's just another. It's just another way for me to test myself. And I just get super excited to to face somebody like super dangerous or, um, you know, super powerful and to try to be able to overcome that. Because, again, that's what I fell in love with with jujitsu in general. A, that's a great attitude. And one of the things about jujitsu that's interesting is it is a full contact competitive sport. So you're not holding or pulling anything back. Sure. And it's one of the few full contact sports where competitions will have an open weight division. Like you don't yeah. see that in boxing or kickboxing. No. Not too often. Sure. And uh, what that does tell me, because we are talking about how, how much of a role strength plays and strength plays a role in any sport. Sure. But jujitsu technique is still the primary, you know, driver. Yeah. Whereas let's say you're a boxer and you're a hundred, you know, 10 pound boxer and you go against, and you're really, really good. And you go against someone that you're way better than, you know, that you're way better than, but yeah. he's 200 pounds. He's probably going to, he might kill you. Yeah. Uh, but in jujitsu, you got a good chance. I remember watching some of the older, sure. you know, uh, you know, absolute uh, tournaments, and you had like Marcelo Garcia just blowing through some of these massive guys, sure, sure. or you know, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Hoyler Gracie doing yeah. so, you know, so well, or Eddie, you know, Eddie Bravo. These are all small uh-huh. dudes that would that were beating like guys that were a lot bigger than them. Yeah, and along with that too, you you have to take into account the fact that um, 
our sport, like although you could get certainly severely injured by a submission hold, um, to some degree is a little bit safer than some of those other sports in the sense like you're not taking cumulative damage to like your brain or anything mm. like that. So it's like if I do get caught by one of these, you know, giants, like sure, could he snap my leg in half, you know, in an instant? It, it may happen, but there's a, a there's less chance for like serious cumulative injuries to develop because I'm going against these bigger guys. Like do I have tons of injuries from like training and competing against these guys for sure, but like it's not the same as boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to get knocked out or anything more than likely. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you because I, I have been outside of the, the, that world for God, at least eight years. And more recently I started kind of going on YouTube and watching videos within an eight year period. The sport has completely changed. Yeah. I mean, it has evolved so massively at one point you had guys doing these, these, you know, like I think I'm pronouncing it right. Brimbolo. It's close enough. I wish I could tell you yeah, the actual yeah. pronunciation. And, 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 <laughs> and now it looks like it, the leg lock game sure. is just this huge thing. Uh, that's pretty awesome about jujitsu that it evolves so rapidly. Do, what do you think is the future evolution of evolution? Because right now it's leg locks. Like everybody's sure, just sure. getting crazy with them. Do you think that's because at first people have to kind of learn how to defend them real well? And then once that starts happening, then they're going to find the next thing. Yeah. Do you do? Good question. Um, I mean, yeah, I think, I think what it was is that there was just like a lot of stigma against them for a long time. Why do you think that is? Um, the reason being is because I, it, it is a submission hold that you can access very quickly from an early point in a match. And it's a great equalizer. So you could take somebody who, you know, technically might seem much more, much superior or even bigger, stronger, whatever the case may be. And you might be able to submit them in a very short, uh, quick period of time by establishing some sort of leg lock position, uh, especially if they weren't unbelievably knowledgeable about it. It's a little different than some of the other submissions in the sport because it's so easy to access, especially from like a position where somebody's laying on their back. Like their two legs are there all the mm-hmm. time. You don't have to pass the guard to get it. You don't have to get past the guy's legs or anything like that, get to the guy's back to secure the submission hold. So I think for the longest time, people saw it as like a this cheap move that you could do like, oh, well, yeah, like, well, whatever, I got leg locked, you know, but he doesn't even know how to pass my guard and this, that, and the other thing. They don't, they didn't see it as, uh, as being technically superior. They're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a cheap one-off movement that these guys got, but there's a lot more to it than that, you know? And when you, when you start to learn about it, it's not, it's not like that at all. Um, so I think that was, that was the biggest problem with it. What was that? Was just that. Now moving forward, what do you, do you see anything, any trends that you think may like, uh, you know, in terms of maybe new positions or, uh, you know, kind of the future of evolution. Where do you see it going? What I'd really like to see, and I don't know if this is necessarily going to happen because of the rules of the sport. Um, what I would like to see is uh, greater innovations along the lines of wrestling and judo oh, um, God, being, yeah. being brought into the sport. It's difficult because a lot of the mainstream competitions, um, just with the the rule sets that they that they give, there's not an unbelievable incentive to be very proficient in wrestling and judo. You can get away with not knowing a single wrestling or move or judo throw and have no problem, you know, necessarily submitting somebody. There's plenty of guys that had no stand-up ability and uh, did down. really successful. Yeah. So uh, I I think that with the new uh, with the new aspect of professional jiu-jitsu becoming like this big thing where you have to be an entertainer as well as um, as well as an, a good competitor, I think you'll see a little bit more of that because it is a little bit more exciting to go feet to floor, feet to floor and constantly be doing, you know, wrestling, jujitsu, whatever the case may be. Somebody doesn't really want to watch somebody just kind of lay on their back and kick somebody in the stomach for 
you know, 10 minutes. Um, I, when I, when I'm thinking about my matches, that's actually something that goes into my head. Like, you know, obviously winning is number one, but sometimes in, in the course of a match, if I'm like, oh man, nothing's really happening here. Like I'll just stand back up or mm-hmm. do something to try to make action happen, you know? Mm. Um, because it's more exciting for the fans. Yeah. You you've know? got, you've got a good, you've got some good throws and takedowns. So let's talk about your history sure. in training. Um, how did you start and what brought you to where you're at now with your training? <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, so I started when I guess with, with like grappling in general with wrestling. Uh, I don't remember exactly what age it was. I want to say something around like 10 years old or something like fifth grade. And I started doing it recreationally and I did it for like five years. And I, I, I stopped doing it around freshman year because I started doing jujitsu. And my main issue was, is I got to a certain point with wrestling and you learn some moves and things, but it wasn't, it didn't feel to me, at least the coaching that I was receiving very often was unbelievably cognitive, right? Like, all right, you learn to move a double leg, a single leg, whatever the case may be, but the technique wasn't the thing that they, they favored. Like you learned the move and then the practice was centered on, let's do this move as hard and as fast as we can for as many reps as we can. And we're going to do that until you throw up or, (laughs) you know, you die on the mats. Like that's what the goal was. Is like, if you push harder and faster, you get a greater result. And I'm a hard worker. I do. I did love like, you know, pushing myself and all that stuff. It's, it's great. But, uh, I did, I felt like there's like a plateau that I eventually reached because of that. Like, Nobody was, nobody was sitting down and breaking down a technique like, all right, well, here's how we get it a little bit sharper, a little bit sharper. And, you know, without the use of strength, like here's, you know, here's some things that you can do that are like technically body position wise, it's going to make this stronger. And when I got to jujitsu, it seemed like that was much more the focus as opposed to like you, you take an average wrestling practice. Like I said, you drill a double leg and you, you like I said, you drill it a hundred times as fast as you can. And the coach is screaming in your face and this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> then you take the average jujitsu practice, much less intense, much less physically demanding, but you take a move like, you know, uh, I don't know, a guillotine or something. And the, you're going to start drilling it with your training partner, nice and easy. The, 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 the slightest amount of strength, the lowest amount, the most efficient you can possibly be is what your goal is. You're drilling to, to, to maximize your efficiency, not to maximize your strength, your power, whatever the case may be. And the coach would come around the room and maybe give you some technical advice. You put your elbow here, you put your arm here, do this, focus on this. And that was what attracted me to jujitsu as opposed to wrestling, at least the way that I was learning it. There are other nations like most, m- many Eastern European countries and things like that, that take that kind of approach to wrestling, I think. But in America and with the coaching that I was receiving, I didn't see that as much. You know? Now, that being said, uh, Great explanation. You, you do see something that I've noticed is wrestlers, high level wrestlers and high level judo guys that then go into ju- ju- uh, jujitsu they tend to take some of that intensity and that scramble sure. and then they apply it to jujitsu and they're like, and then they go MMA or whatever. And they're fucking, they're, they're hard. They're hard to beat, man, yeah. because they've got kind of both, yeah. both ends. And then on the flip side, I've seen jujitsu guys go into wrestling <laughs> and judo and have to learn all of a sudden yeah. how to be a great, I mean, is yeah. that accurate? There's, there's definitely that element of intensity. I'm glad that I've, I've crossed, you know, different boundaries into different grappling martial arts to feel that and to know what that's like, because yeah, it's a hundred percent a different world. You're coming from a jujitsu world and then going into mixed martial arts or wrestling or judo or whatever the case may be is, it's just, a, it is a completely different intensity. Uh, what's required of you 
and your ability to, you know, rest or, you know, stay stagnant or stall or whatever the case may be is completely diminished. I mean, now you try to stall in any way, you're getting punched in the face. Uh, in wrestling, you're heavily penalized for stalling. There's no, you can't be inactive. Mm-hmm. You know, that that pushed pace has to, you has to be there or you won't be successful. The same thing in judo. Um, and, it, you know, the match can end in judo in an instant. You know what I mean? Everything has to be sharp, on point. All the grappling only takes place in 30 seconds. So everything has to be done extremely quickly and efficiently. So it's certainly a different feel in all of those different martial arts. And it's something that I think at, you need a little cross-training to, to be able to be successful at those things. Do you think it's better to start, uh, like if you have a kid and you want to get mm. them in uh, in the grappling arts, do you think it's better to start them? I know what my opinion is, but I, I want to know what yours yeah, is, sure. especially someone who's uh, as accomplished as you are. Do you think it's better to start a kid in wrestling and judo and then have him do jiu-jitsu or the other way around? Good question. I think, number one, you want your kid to, and I mean, this is just, opinion again, you know, not mm. based on any, any facts or science, but, <laughs> uh, I think number one, you would want your kid to learn how to move his body. Um, and not, I wouldn't even, we worried about grappling. I'd be putting my kid in gymnastics. You know, I'd mm. say, you know, let's, let's give this guy some balance, coordination, functional strength, and let's have him figure out how to move his body around in space before he's even worried about moving other people's bodies around. So that'd be my number one. Like I always say that I won't force my kid to do anything except for gymnastics. Mm. And I wasn't even, I didn't even come from that background. I did two years of gymnastics and like seventh and eighth, maybe 13, 14, something like that. Um, I didn't really come from that background, but I feel now looking back, like that would have made a huge difference. Mm. I mean, when you think about the, the, the range of motion that you can get and, and the strength in all those different types of range of motions and the true athleticism that you get from that sport, any sport you do, any sport your child decides to do after that, it's going to be easier. Mm-hmm. All right. And you're going to have a, a more possibilities of things that you can do with your body when you go to do that sport. So honestly, that'd be my number one. But then as far as like what grappling martial art to put him in, it's a good question, man. I, I don't know. I'd see what they gravitate towards. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd necessarily push one direction or another, because I think one of the, one of the biggest things, the most valuable things is to just have somebody motivated to do something. If you're motivated to do something, you're going to get way more out of it than if you're not, you know, it's like, it's like when somebody chooses a cardio activity, does it really matter yet? Do you burn a few more calories running on a treadmill than you do if you're jumping rope? Probably, you know, but if I can jump rope for an hour and that I, I can stay happy and motivated to do that. Uh, but I can't like, ever, I hate jogging and like, you know, after 30 minutes I want to quit and this is bullshit. I'm probably going to be able to, you know, do that longer and I'm going to be more motivated to do it. So that's what I would say. Yeah. That's a, a excellent point. It's, cra- it's crazy. He brought up the gymnastics right after we, we just we literally just had, we had that. Mike, Mike Salemi in here. Who's a master kettlebell sport, uh, ex power lifter, ex Olympic lifter, Mm-hmm. And uh, he attributes uh, much. Yeah, of- he started with gymnastics and really like was talking about that kind of strength and, and body awareness he learned. Oh that. yeah, that, yeah. The, you, what, the the points you made are so so true. And we were we discussed it after he came off the show, just like how important uh, and it, gymnastics can be in somebody's role, especially at a young age when you know their your their proprioception and body oh, awareness sure. is so all over the place. That and- neuromuscular connection. I mean that 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 first thing that you really want to establish is is the connectivity, right, and, and the ability to move properly and yeah. adjust accordingly. So that well, makes a lot of sense. Well, the, I mean, of course, when you're a child too, your brain is solidifying, creating, and solidifying, and re- and removing the, all these connections in the brain. 
at a much higher rate than when you're an adult. They learn. That's why kids learn so fast. And then the things they learn, they tend to not forget. Yeah. And body awareness, that kinesthetic movement uh, is something that is uh, – that's what your brain is primed to do at, when you're a kid. Same thing with language. You learn language very easily without an accent when you're a kid. Um, one of the old school MMA fighters who some people said was probably the pioneer of modern MMA or one of the first guys to kind of show – proficiency and you know uh striking and grappling and submissions uh was frank shamrock and frank shamrock was huge on gymnastics he used to talk about this all the time back in the day. yeah yeah uh he talked about this uh, quite a bit um w- have you done any cross training other grappling arts like sambo or you know other types of wrestling or anything like that yeah mostly just wrestling and judo um, i'm not as heavy into judo uh i try to practice it when i can but just only because i tend to focus without the gi mm. um but one day i actually do want to you know play around with competing in the gi and stuff probably when i get a little older but because my focuses are are shifted towards no gi competition and eventually mma i, I've, I haven't done it as much um but i i certainly think cross training in that realm as well as wrestling uh, has helped me a lot. I've been doing, I've been working for like about three years now with my coach, Matt Pletcher. Uh, I was a D one wrestler for Rutgers and uh, you know, I, I, I attribute a lot of the work that I, a lot of progress that I've made in wrestling to him um, as well as my coach, John Danaher, who does quite a bit of research in that realm. He's never uh, you know, a high level wrestler or anything like that, but certainly influences me to kind of, you know, go off in that direction and learn more about, you know, the art. In- any thoughts on uh, heading towards MMA? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as exactly where we're going to go with it, not 100% sure as to when and where and what organization and this, that, and the other thing. So far, the most recent development for me is I've been trying to pick fights with some of these guys uh, that already do jiu-jitsu and are looking to get into MMA. Mm. Um, AJ Agazarm, who I hate, uh, I you know, really <laughs> love to punch him in the face. Yes. Um, I try, I'm trying to get a fight going with him. Why do you hate him? I, uh, there's a lot of reasons. We can, <laughs> we can, we can divulge into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fill us in a little bit. I want, I want That'll to completely derail me. Uh, <laughs> I'll finish this thought and then we'll talk about AJ. And then right. uh, Dylan Dannis, who uh, was like kind of a rival for a while, he's interested in go- going to MMA. So. Isn't that McGregor's coach? Yeah, DJ yeah. Coach? So okay. I, you know, I love a fight there. And then um, Crone, who actually has a few MMA fights now. Um, but we had a really tough match in ADCC. That was when I first started. Was that back? That was a couple years ago, right? Yeah, it was 2013. That's that armbar video yeah, that I showed yeah. you that we looked at, right? Oh, Where yeah. he escaped his armbar. Yeah, it's how, tough. How, how is he as a uh, as a competitor? When you watch him, his jujitsu sure. looks so straightforward. So nothing like revolution, whatever. But the fucker, like he seems to be so good at what he does uh, because of his style. Sure. Uh, how you know how was that like going against him and did you, is he is he different i mean is there because there's a lot of you know mystique around his dad right Hicks yeah. and gracie and back then i was just so much more of an immature competitor uh i mean i'd still been doing the sport for about six and a half years um but i think i've just changed so much but yeah back then it was a little overwhelming he's definitely the highest level person i probably competed against at the time so i mean i was i was running into the pinnacle of my weight class mm-hmm. essentially with that i mean he won adcc that year so obviously i was running into the pinnacle of my weight class at a very early point in my career and um which was probably awesome for you yeah absolutely so it was a very surreal experience there was a lot of things going on mentally and physically um so yeah it was definitely different but now having the background that i have now competing against a bunch of other high level guys um, you know, I don't see anything unbelievably different from him that I see from many of these other high level competitors that I compete against uh, all the time. So, uh, you know, I feel much more 
I feel like I'm coming from much more of a point of experience now if I were to go to have a rematch with him or anything like that. Do you know the, what was the age difference? Do you know the age difference of the two of you? I don't know the age difference. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm guessing we're pretty close in age. I just know, I mean, he's probably been doing jiu-jitsu a lot longer. Uh, than since he was born, yeah. I'm sure. He's, yeah. Hicks and Gracie's son. Yeah, right, Hickson's right. Like, he was, yeah. he's like, came out in a gi, He's like right? a legendary uh, Gracie family that people say is like the best. Sure, like sure. Gracie's or whatever. Um, which, uh, I don't know if that's actually true or not. Um, but yeah. Back uh, to AJ. I yeah. want to know why we don't like, why, why are we going to his ass. <laughs> um, there's been there's been multiple things that have gone on in the past. I mean, he's he's been a guy that was in my weight class for a long time and just kind of like carries himself in a particular way, chest puffed out, like very like just the kind of person you look at is just like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to deal with this guy. Like in any situation, <laughs> the guy you look at and you instantly judge. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then to me, like as I met him as a person, I found out that that image is just true. Like that's just him. Like that's sometimes you read a you know judge a book by its cover, and it was fucking right. Like oh, it says math textbook. Yep, it's a math textbook. You know, like I mean, that's yeah. that's just the that's the fact. And uh, and then like I don't know, he does like a bunch of corny social it's media stuff, but yeah. it is what it is. And then, uh, you know, he, he comes into our gym and trains with us because he had some loose connections, um, with, uh, Henzo and, and stuff. And, um, it's just, it's never, he never really given anything to us and we've given stuff to him and it just takes, takes, takes from the people around him, I feel like. And it's, it, he went right before Gordon's last EBI, he fucking spazzed out of a move like an idiot, need him right in the eye, caused mm-hmm. blood. Like I had to fill in for him. Thankfully, you know, I filled in and won the tournament, but you know, it cost, it could potentially cost Gordon $20,000, you know what oh, I mean? Wow. To, for some mm. stupid shit like that. And for no, for nothing, it wasn't a training accident. Like, Oh, I just made a mistake. It's like, dude, you were caught and you spazzed and need him in the face. Like there was just no reason for it. So I, and I just had lots of bad experiences with a guy over the years. And, you know, that seems like there's like an unsaid code right there. Right. Like that, that he kind of breaks. Like, sure. if you know, when you when you know, you know, the situation like you guys know what's going on, yeah. what's at risk here. You get caught. It's mm-hmm. like the, the, the man thing to do is to tap out yeah. and just own it. That you man, could... There's been tons. Sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 there's no. been tons of it, obviously very emotionally charged about this stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> there's been times where like he was preparing for a competition, came to us and you know, he's not the kind of guy, he doesn't like to tap. I've had him in fully locked submission holds and other training partners. And I chose not to fucking break him because I'm like, you know what? I hate this guy. He's a douche, but he's got a competition in three days. I'm not going to break his shoulder or his leg. Or right. That's that man code right there. Right. And it's just like, you know what? Whatever. He's got to prepare for something. I respect that. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be that guy, you know? And, but he doesn't, he would never, he wouldn't be the same way. You know, he's not, it's not a mutual respect situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so I could see how, how we wouldn't like this guy. So explain that a little bit. Like, uh, I don't un- fully understand like how the, the team part of this works. Like you made mm-hmm. a comment about how that could have sc- uh, screwed Gordon over and then you were able to step in and do yeah, the, yeah. And take his position. Explain how the whole team thing works. Well, we have a, as far as our like professional competition te- team is concerned, it's extremely small. We have Eddie Cummings who is around, uh, you know, he can compete. He competed most recently at 135 pounds. That's about as low as he'll be able to compete. Um, that's like a day of weigh-in. Um, I can probably, I would be able to make it, I think, to like 145, um, but I just don't do it because Eddie does that category because uh, he's smaller. Um, but I probably would, I probably would be in like the 145, 155 categories, but instead I end up in the 155 to 170 range because, uh, again, I'm, I'm Eddie's taking the lower weight categories and then Gordon, who's a little bit taller, but honestly not that much bigger than me, maybe like 20 pounds or so he ends up taking, 
Um, he ends up taking anything over 170 uh, and beyond. So like, you know, he was, that, that EBI was supposed to be like, I don't know, 205. They do it by UFC weight classes. So he had won 185 and that was, was supposed to be two, uh, 205. So our team, we don't even have a heavyweight really, even though Gordon does the heavyweight stuff. Um, our team is extremely small when it comes to that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I, so me filling in for Gordon, sorry, no. me filling in for Gordon in that instance was like, I mean, it's a two Oh five. I should have no business being in that, in that <laughs> tournament, you know? So my, my cousin, uh, is like a diehard. He's a total fanboy of you. And, uh, <laughs> when I had told him that we were, uh, both sponsored by Chimera and eventually I would get you over on the show mm-hmm. and we'd obviously been trying to connect with you for some time where I know how busy you are. And, uh, you know, he, he told me to ask, he wanted me to ask you about that whole team situation and what is your future on the team? And is there, sure. is that because of that puts you in kind of a weird predicament? Does that not allow you to do certain fights or be right in your ideal weight class? Like, is it something you're considering leaving? Like what's, what's no, going on? No, no, no. It's just, it's certainly a difficult situation. Um, because like, like you said, you know, we don't have uh, all the weight categories covered. So we put so many of us against like much bigger, stronger opponents most of the time. Um, and it, you know, I, I'm not competing at my true weight. So normally the guys that would be more around my size, I don't end up competing against. Um, so it's a little bit And the same thing for Gordon. He's, he's covering a weight class. He would normally do the 170 probably, or even 155. Um, he can cut to, um, so yeah, which is in a tough situation true, but the, ultimately what's the most difficult is like when we get like injured, sick, whatever the case may be, it's hard. Like we don't have a huge professional comp- competition team to kind of, you know, fill those gaps. Like if we, you know, if two of us get like sick, injured, it's like now, you know, imagine me and Gordon are like fucked up and then there's Eddie and it's like a 210 EBI. It's like, mm. I mean, he's tough and he can submit a lot of really big, you know, tough dudes, but you know, I mean, let's put him at, put a, our team at a severe disadvantage. Mm. Um, whereas some of these other bigger networks have like huge numbers of professional competitors that are they're able to pull from um you know one of our uh you know one of our main competitors um well two of them i guess like you know gracie baja or like 10 planet like these they got huge networks of schools and it's like you know i feel like every time you know we defeat one guy they're just like oh yeah here's the next leg lock master or whatever (laughs) the case may be and they just pull somebody out of nowhere and you know we just don't even have that ability you know we just don't so is, is that because the, the your guys' team has not been along been around for very long? Are you guys trying to grow that? What's the yeah. future of that look like? I, I mean, think the future of that it is there's going to be growth. You know, we'll see what we're going to do and what we're going to try to accomplish. Um, but yeah, I, I think we'll we'll uh, attempt to grow the. I mean, we already are attempting to grow the team. We have some more uh, B level uh, professional competitors that are coming up through the ranks that are doing pretty well, and uh, you know they'll be able to kind of fill the spots and the cracks when. Uh, you know, we're hurt, injured, et cetera, or busy doing other things, or maybe when we switch to MMA. So we're working on it, you know, it's, but it's a process for sure. It takes a long time. Who are some of like the best people that you feel you've gone against where you, where you've gone against them and afterwards you're like, man, that dude is legit. Like I actually learned some shit or, you know, that person kind of blew me away. I, I, I'm sure trained that's with, a lot Trained with or competed with? Either. Either? Yeah. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, my most recent fuck, fucking competition, I got Flying Triangle, so that dude was pretty good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he, he uh, you know, it, it's tough because it happens in an instant, but nonetheless, um, you know, I, I don't make any excuses for that. I mean, it's, you know, great technique. I I, try, I practice Flying Triangles myself, so um, it was great, uh, you know, to see that. Um, and he was exceptionally good. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. fights in the UFC at 185. Um, I, I didn't really, obviously, get to see a full range of his jiu-jitsu, but he's beaten like some really tough dudes uh like multiple times it's not just like an accident like he mm-hmm. beat Leandro Lowe twice uh once by 
by the same submission, flying triangle. Um, he beat uh, Hamilo Bahal twice by points. Uh, Bernardo Faria, who's like another huge dude who's really well, really good. He submitted him once, beat him once by points. Uh, so he's been, he kind of flew under the radar though. I'm guessing when he beat those guys, it was like, uh, he may have, may have not won the championship, but he beat them in like the preliminary rounds or something. Mm-hmm. And then maybe lost a match by points to somebody else. So it was hard back then. It wasn't like a huge professional thing, like I said. So you could easily fall through the cracks like that. If you didn't make it to like the top level of the championship, even a dude who was super dangerous and super good like that, nobody really knew you know, a lot about him. In the jiu-jitsu world, people didn't know as much about him. He was pretty famous in MMA because he won the tough uh, Brazil, but um, in jiu-jitsu, not so much. Um, but yeah, he was really good. Um, trying to think as far as like people I train with um, that really bring something to the table. Uh, probably what surprises me most is when I train with people from other grappling arts, like Travis Stevens, who got, got silver in uh, judo this year at 81 kilograms, um, or I guess technically it's last year, um, in the Olympics. Um, I, when I train with him, it's, it's really interesting because it's, like I said, it's kind of a different feel and, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. Like it's not, it's not to say that there's not times where he submits me or puts me in some really bad spots. So that's always interesting to see. There's some D1 wrestlers that, you know, I work with that I, I feel the same, the same intensity from, and I'm trying to think from the jujitsu world, anybody coming down to visit us that like really, you ever roll with any, some of like the old school legends like Henzo and you know, I rolled with Henzo one time. It wasn't like a we weren't. It wasn't like a super intense thing. We were just kind of like flow rolling um, when he was preparing for Sakuraba, uh, just a grappling match. And uh, you know, it was, it was it was cool to to feel, but uh, it's hard it's hard to say. Like we didn't have mm-hmm. like a like butting heads or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely extremely good. I mean, Henzo's been. You know, he's, I don't always get to see him around because he's a very busy guy, does his, his own thing. But, you know, all the times that I have been around him, I, I t- typically learn something new. And uh, so it's kind of cool to have him around for sure. You, you you said something. It was cool to feel like, do you, do you, when you first lock up with somebody, is there, is there a moment where you like instantly can tell like what the fight's going to be like because of the way he grabs you or the, the way- certain things that you can tell the moment um, you touch someone. Um, you, you can get a general sense for their level of anxiety overall Uh. and their confidence in themselves. Uh. Like if I, if I lock up with somebody and they're extremely anxious, tense, et cetera, it'll, you'll feel it immediately. You know, you Mm. can, you can feel a sense of nerves, the, the tenseness of the muscles, somebody who's much more confident in their abilities and much more smooth and and less anxious. When you lock up with them, it's going to feel relaxed. You're not even going to really feel a sense of danger for like they're not they're obviously not feeling any danger or or mm. uh, anxiety when you when you lock up with them and they're relaxed you know um that's much more of an indicator to me of all right this guy is either planning something or he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. you know so you there are certain things you can tell the moment you touch somebody um there are other things where you you wait a little bit deeper into a match and you're like okay uh you know now i get a feel for like what techniques this guy uses or you know mm. what kind of setups that that kind of thing takes a little bit more time. You know, it's a feeling out process. Maybe the first couple minutes of the match, but yeah, there's definitely a certain a certain thing you can tell. No, that like makes opening moves and all that. It's a lot like chess from from how sure. you're describing it. Yeah, sure. you can probably tell sometimes by the way they're standing. I'm sure you could see a judo guy or a wrestler guy. You know, a wrestler or someone who just does jiu-jitsu, right? Mm. By just the way they're kind of holding you and. and- Sure. Sure. Sometimes you can tell that too. Yeah. You get a general sense, like their posture and, you know, their movement and things suggest certain things about them. There's all these observations that you should be making, um, you know, over time. And a big part of that is like pattern recognition, I mm. think plays a huge role in the sport. It's one of the mental aspects of jujitsu, I believe, um, that it, it kind of goes unnoticed sometimes. Uh, and it's involved in all, 
combat martial arts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you look at boxing or something, yeah, you can learn a bunch of combinations. Um, but can you recognize the patterns that your opponent's going to put before you? Mm -hmm. You know, if every single time he sets up his cross with, you know, two jabs, all right, well now I, you know, now I not kind of know what to look out for. I can know where to move my head. I know where to position my body. Obviously he'll make adjustments too, but recognizing those patterns is super, super important. It was easier for me to relate that, to that, to, to everybody through boxing because everybody knows how to throw, you know, mm -hmm. punches, basic punches. Um, but the same thing happens in jujitsu. You know, how is this guy going to react to an underhook or an overhook or, um, you know, me moving my body in one direction or what setups he's going to use, et cetera. So is it more important then, you know, to, to get like those types of people to, to train with as opposed to like breaking down film and kind of like looking at all mm. those signs and signals? It's, it's all, it's all important. Um, but yeah, when you, when there's a, a bunch of things you consider, you know, you want to look, you want to look at the person's tape to, to get a sense for that. You know, it's hard, it's hard without like physically ever training with the person to really get a true sense for how they are and how they compete and what it's going to feel like. Um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely an element of, I want to bring a training partner in who may have similar patterns to this guy, like has a similar background. Um, you know, maybe he's a, maybe he's a tough wrestler or a tough judo guy. Like when I was preparing for Hector Lombard, I was trying mm -hmm. to work with Gary St. Ledger, who's a great judo guy and Travis Stevens to just get a feel for the kind of things that, um, those guys were going to do, you know, maybe it's not there. His jujitsu wasn't going to be exactly the same, but there's going to be certain similarities, of course, you mm. know, based off of a similar background, et cetera. So that's an important thing to add to your training as well. Now, is this what you do you full time? You don't have a job uh, aside from that. Is it just jujitsu? Is this how you make your living? No, I, I run a, I run a jujitsu school as well, but I mean, I suppose that's under the umbrella, but mm -hmm. yeah, uh, my, the majority of my income comes from my professional jujitsu career, um, whether it be competing, whether it be sponsorships, whether it be, um, you know, seminars or whatever the case may be. That's where the majority of my income comes from. Mm. For sure. How is that looking for the uh, future of that business? It seems to be growing. I mean, it used to be you couldn't make a living at all <laughs> yeah, absolutely unless not. you had a school. That was really the only way to do it. Yeah. When I first started doing uh, jujitsu, I've said this a couple of times, uh, I didn't even see competing professionally as a real thing. Like if you would have told me five years ago, like, oh yeah, you're going to, um, you know, you're going to make the majority of your money just like competing, like literally just, you know, going out there and competing with guys. I would have been like, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't real. So like my whole intention when I first started jujitsu, I wanted to compete to, to get better, to gain more skills. And all of that was in pursuit of being able to teach people better or having a better reputation for when I teach Maybe, maybe if I got good enough, be able to teach seminars to people and make some money that way for sure. But for the most part was to just be a better teacher to my students. You know, that was the, that was the main goals competitively. And yeah, you wanted to win championships. You wanted to be the best. Um, but as far as making a living off of it, it wasn't real. And now it, and now it is. And I, I've, I grew into that aspect. Like nowadays people that are starting jujitsu can see that and they can aspire to that. I didn't aspire to it. I adapted to it. Mm -hmm. in, in a sense, you know, I, I realized, oh shit, there's a, there's a chance to make money now in this. That's something I can branch my efforts into, you know, I, I can start being a professional. How lucrative uh, can it be? Oh, uh, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing compared to, you know, most sports, uh, mixed martial arts or even combat sports in general. Um, it's not, the paydays are uh, come nothing to that, but it's certainly something that I, I, as a person who doesn't have a family, you know, in a mm -hmm. sense, like a wife, kids, etc. Um, I can make an okay living off of, I can sustain myself. I can make, make and save money. Um, so enough that I can, you know, support the lifestyle that I live. Is it enough really to, 
you know, is it enough to like sustain a, you know, a family on it without owning a school and like teaching a lot of seminars and stuff? Eh, difficult, mm-hmm. difficult. It's growing though. It takes a lot of dedication. Yeah. And where it is now is what, what started, what it started with is just a bunch of rich guys that are kind of interested in jujitsu, dumping some money into it. And that's kind of how it started. And I was a little worried when it started kicking off, like, is this artificial? Is this not real? Like, is this just, is this just going to be temporary for the time being that these guys are want to play with some toys and when they want to take their money out of it, like, is it going to all disappear? Mm -hmm. But what I started to realize is some of these other organizations started popping up, um, like fight to win, for instance, um, which is able to make revenue off of ticket sales now, to be honest, not even just the online stream. Um, so I, they've, they've created a sustainable business model just purely off of throwing a show without like crazy outside sponsorship, mm-hmm. which is typically what used to happen. Um, and it's still happening now. There's still a lot of like, you know, uh, lucrative, uh, you know, uh, business guys like trying to, you know, dump money into the sport and, uh, and that's still a part of it. But I'm happy to see that there are some organizations that were able to make it, you know, per se, so that like if all this artificial money goes out the window, like there's still a, a realm of professional jiu-jitsu that could exist even without all this outside sponsorship money. That's awesome. I, w- I want to change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your training. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like? Uh, how often do you train jujitsu? Do you lift? Uh, what does your cardio look like? Let's break that down a little bit for our audience. Sure. So the majority of my time, as everybody knows that, 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 uh, you know, follows me is spent on training specifically, um, for my sport. You know, that's, I mean, I think most people can say that about, about their sport, but I, th- I think me more so than maybe some other people who dedicate a lot more time to strength and conditioning or, you know, some sort of lifting program or whatever the case may be. Uh, I certainly do do uh, things on the side to help improve my athletic performance, um, but it's mostly uh, body weight related, gymnastics related. Um, we center our, uh, you know, our our physical program as far as outside jujitsu on like several body movements, uh, handstands, bridging, uh, toes to bar, um, uh, muscle ups, uh, front levers, back levers, like some gymnastic movements that are kind of core to, um, you know, what gymnasts believe as markers of, you know, physical fitness and things like that. Um, and our, our, I got that from our coach, John Danaher. He kind of influenced us to go that route as far as physical fitness is concerned uh, because it gives us the best balance of strength, um, coordination, balance, flexibility, range of motion, et cetera, that would be required to become more athletic in our sport, as opposed to just being able to bench press a little bit more weight. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like with a lot of what I do and competing against these heavier guys, like, sure, it might help me to be a little bit stronger, you know, just being able to push in a particular direction. But ultimately, I know that my push is going to be nothing compared to Bushesha's push. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this dude's like, you know, 265 now, mm-hmm. you know, solid muscle. Yeah. I mean, no matter how much I bench press, it's not going to be able to combat that dude. You know, so I'd rather be able to learn how to move my body around the mat. Ultimately, when I compete against a guy like that, I'm concerned with moving my body around his, not so much moving his body. Well, I was surprised, you know, have, I used to uh, run a gym that was across the street from AKA yeah. uh, here in San Jose and their fighters would come in a lot of times and work out and I became friends with a few of them. Uh, Mike Swick and me became friends for a little mm-hmm. while. He actually was a trainer, worked for me for a little while and I was always shocked at how not strong they were lifting weights, but then when I'd go train with them, <laughs> they yeah. were strong as fuck when they yes, grab you. it's incredible. It's a different type of strength it's very difficult to very different. Com- to communicate like these are guys that I would crush in the gym when we sure. lift weights and I'm not just talking about technique like they would grab you 
and you would just feel like this <laughs> yeah. guy's stronger than I am, but he's not. <laughs> I know he's not. Yes, I could, yes, I could yeah. deadlift twice as much as him, or I could squat, sure, you know, sure. twice as much. It's a very different kind of strength. Yeah. Very, very interesting. It's, it's hard to, strength. Yeah. Well, you, we talk about that this the central nervous system training. You know, that's what you, you we all talk about this the gymnastics being the foundation. That's why maybe you maybe a gym, gymnast can't deadlift six seven hundred pounds, but watch him do an iron cross or a muscle up for mm-hmm. fifty reps. That's a whole nother fucking strength. Well, right dude, there. I think it was John Jones. They posted a video not that long of, uh, ago, and it was like this big deal. He deadlifted four hundred pounds. A 400-pound deadlift is decent. For a guy his size, it's not that impressive at all in a gym. Yeah. But I guarantee you, if you go grab him, uh, you're, you're going to grab feel He's going to feel like you're grabbing a wall. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just a different type of strength. It's always fascinating to me. It's very, very interesting. Um, how about nutrition? Do you have any particular uh, philosophies when it comes to your nutrition? Uh, you know, I know some guys eat you know, paleo or you, <laughs> you have some vegans now in MMA, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Uh, interesting question. So I tend to... I get a lot of flack for this. Okay, I tend to veer <laughs> off the side of not uh, not respecting the nutritional aspects of uh, of my um, my uh, daily routine. I suppose uh, as much as some people might like to put as much emphasis on it. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not like a huge believer in you know me restructuring my diet as creating an overwhelming advantage um, as far as you know athletic performance is concerned. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the foods that you intake and the supplements that you take and things like that certainly influence, um, you know, how you recover and, um, certainly influence your performance in in different ways. I'll tell you about the things that I do do. Um, but, uh, over, overall, I think, you know, I have pretty shit nutrition, you know, like (laughs) I eat whatever I I want, hamburgers, you know, all the time and stuff. A big part of that is I'm just training all day. And honestly, like I need calories when I, when I go to eat. I only get to eat like like two real meals a day, maybe, maybe only one. And when I do, it like needs to be a huge number of calories. And it's tough to get that from like eating a giant salad. I mean, you know, <laughs> number one, just putting it together would be Plus difficult. Plus you look like a total pussy. The standard yeah. health meal, salad. <laughs> it's yeah. like, dude, you know, I mean, it'd be such, it would be such an effort to get that kind of calorie intake from like much healthier foods. It's so much easier to just kind of like eat a cheeseburger and French fries at the end of the day. Um, so I, as much as that might not be the best thing for me, uh, it's certainly not where I place my emphasis on, you know, how am I going to get my competitive edge? It's not where I usually go to, uh, as far as like supplements and stuff are concerned. Um, you know, I, I, I am sponsored by muscle farm. I do, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in, um, taking uh, protein right before I go to bed. Um, I found, uh, actually our, our instructor, John, uh, has told us that there was a study done. I don't remember what country did it, but it was like a, a very non-biased, like not, you know how like a lot of things are kind of sponsored by different companies Absolutely. and things like that there. It was sponsored by the government. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't like a biased study where, you know, maybe a nutrition company was, you know, trying to, to back it or whatever the case may be. And they found that taking protein, whey protein before you fell asleep, um, like right before bed was actually one of the best ways to, um, build muscle overall. I think the the study showed like it was either like an 8% increase over some amount of time or something, or maybe, I don't know, some significant difference as opposed to some of the other, other times where you could be taking protein mm-hmm. in that a lot of people emphasize perhaps after a workout or whatever the case may be, which we, w- there's obviously science to back that kind of mm-hmm. stuff up too. Yeah. I think but, a lot of it depends on your nutrition too. Like if you're not getting yeah. enough, you know, like if you only eat one or two times a day and you're training sure. a, cra- a shit ton during the day, you know, if you're burning you know, six, 7,000 calories a day, uh, it probably behooves you to take 
something before you go to bed with with that kind of damage, with that kind of, you know, uh, caloric burn. Um, With that all being said, what are your staple meals then? I know you say, but I'm sure there's certain foods you just freaking love. You said said cheeseburger and fries. Cheeseburger is definitely like a huge (laughs) one. Um, Occasionally pizza. I like, uh, I really like sausage, egg and cheese sandwiches uh, in the morning. That's definitely huge for me. Um, Depends. Some days I don't get a chance to eat them, but that's definitely like, definitely big. I love eating. So the healthiest thing I'll eat in a day is like, I eat a ton of sushi sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's probably like the healthiest meal you'll see me eating, but yeah, there's that. And then, um, other than that, nutrition wise, I, it's not really like a nutrient per se, but I'm a huge like caffeine user. Like if any, yeah, you just smash that, that cup of uh, cold brew that (laughs) we just gave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Chimera is an amazing coffee. Uh, but I, as well as I as taking, uh, you know, the, the getting the coffee in me. Um, I also, you know, energy drinks and stuff like that all day. And, you know, I, uh, I'm 80, I have ADHD and I have, uh, struggled with it for a lot of my life. And nowadays I don't take medicine for it or anything like that. Um, but caffeine has similar effects to, you know, the stimulants Mm -hmm. that you would, it's a stimulant. So similar to the stimulants that you would take to, um, you know, kind of correct or, you know, help with ADHD. So I find myself kind of like self-medicating myself with caffeine Mm -hmm. throughout the day, just to keep myself a little bit mentally sharper, whether it be for training, whether it be for, you know, getting a, some business activity done. I got to be careful though, because I do have like some insomnia issues. So I, I try to like cut it off by like, four or 5 p.m. or I'm, <laughs> I'm screwed and I won't be able to go to sleep till three. Yeah. Do you think your ADHD helps you or hurts you? In, in That's a good training? question. You know, I've, I've always, well, I've always wondered that myself. Cause I have some, I have a theory on that, but mm-hmm. I want to hear what you have to say. I've always wondered that myself. Uh, I'll, I'll, what I lean towards when I think about it is I, I believe, especially based off the style that I have and the way that I'm constantly trying to attack for uh, submissions and going from position to position and people like look at my jiu-jitsu as a very exciting style. Yeah, because your jiu-jitsu is ADHD. When you watch it, <laughs> exactly. we watch some of your videos, exactly. I'm like, fuck, this guy doesn't Whoa. stop. Like he's yeah, constantly moving, yeah. you know? It's, it, it very much suits me in that way. I think it does make me a little bit more exciting at, because I'm extremely impulsive. You know, I think about something and I do it. You know, so I think the ADHD has helped me in that aspect where maybe somebody might be, oh, I'm going to think about the consequences of doing, I just overthink it, huh? do, mm-hmm. and then whatever the result is, good or bad, it out. Yeah. I do something else, you know, like I'm just going to do go, 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 as opposed to, you know, sure, certainly there's times where I'm thinking on plans and stuff like that throughout the match when there's like, you know, periods of inactivity, but um, yeah, a lot of things are action reaction based for me, uh, in my training and in my jujitsu. I think it makes me a little bit more creative sometimes cause I'm willing to just go and do as opposed to just think, think, think. Um, I think it does make me a better, I think it does make me a better fighter. You know, I think there's many things in my life I struggle with because of it, but I think that it, it, it for jujitsu, as far as making me exciting, as far as my style, it definitely helps a lot. Actually, I struggled with it a lot when I first started doing jujitsu with this whole professional thing just didn't exist. Like I said, with mainstream competition, there's points and all this stuff. The main theory most people operate on is, you know, there's two ways to win, right? Mm. You can center your jujitsu around scoring points, or you can center your jujitsu around submissions, or you can try to find some mesh of both. But those are the only two ways to win in traditional competition, right? So most of people's mainline strategies were to find ways to win via points because it's certainly much easier to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, not necessarily in some ways. Yes. Some ways. No, but um, you know, score, you know, scoring two points is certainly easier than submitting somebody mm-hmm. for sure. So, um, and the, and, and the matches tend to look slow. Yeah. You, they get their position. They exactly. hold their position very safe. And your style is very, 
Uh, I mean, it's very exciting, definitely. Mm-hmm. You're moving all the fucking time. It's very catch wrestling. Yeah. It's got that the, the catch wrestling attitude, which sure. was like, submit, 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 <laughs> submit, move, move. And it's like sure. constantly in danger, which uh, for professional sport, I, it's better. Because I, sure. I know there's a lot of complaining about some of the boring aspects of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. You know, they. I think like when I was started started coming up, they were always trying to influence me. Like, all right, well, you pass the guard, just like, you know, relax, Gary. Like, hold the guy. Like, see what's gonna happen. Like, you're up on points. Like, don't you don't need to do anything else right now. But my mind just literally doesn't work like that. Like, I can't just sit there and wait. Like, I need to progress to the next point and to the next point and to the next point. So even at an early, even at an early stage in my career. Before people were even influencing me to hunt submission holds, etc., I was always hunting for that endpoint because I needed somewhere to go next. Like just holding somebody in a position wasn't good enough for me. And I got flack from coaching for years and years because of it. Hmm. Man, just, you know, you're up, just hold them, you know, just do your thing. Like you're going to win the match. And I just couldn't. I'd had to keep going like, all right, well, now I got to move to the guy's back. Now I got to choke him. All right, he's out of that. And now we got to, I'm taking, you know, I'm going to go for this submission hold. Like, I just couldn't convince myself to sit still. Yeah, a common uh, misconception about ADD and ADHD is that they that people have a complete lack of an ability to focus. But the reality is, mm, hyper focus. Uh, yes. ADD and ADHD, uh, if they're into something, they hyper focus. Yes. We, we've talked on recent episodes about flow state, and you'll find when you work with kids, because I've worked with quite a few of kids with ADD and ADHD, if you can get them into something. You could fire a fucking cannon off next to them, and they won't even know because they're so focused on what they're doing. And if you learn how to harness that ability or you follow your passion, you find people with ADD and ADHD who become extremely proficient about something, whatever they're totally into. Um, And it works well for certain careers like salespeople and entrepreneurs. A disproportionate um, percentage of entrepreneurs and salespeople who are successful – tend to have ADD and ADHD. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I, you said it helps you. I would have 100% guessed that it helps you, especially watching your brand of jiu-jitsu and the way you fight. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Gary, I always like to ask elite-level athletes like yourself, how do you balance, like, everything else out like social life I don't uh, seriously I'm awful at it. I know no and I, and I <laughs> my love family hates me my friends I love for you guys to share that <laughs> yeah. because I think sometimes people get a perception of like this these elite athletes and they just think that oh you know they don't realize how much sacrifice you sure. probably really make could you share that a little bit like what that's yeah. like for you I'll, I'll do my best I mean the true answer is is I'm I really am awful at it. Like, you know, there's many times where my family's trying to get in touch with me and I'm not responding and that's a disaster or, you know, so a girl wants to talk to me and I can't, you know, I'm not communicating fast enough for her to, you know, oh, you know, you don't, you just don't care. Uh, you won't talk to me. You, you won't return my text. I'm like, dude, like I saw that shit while I was driving home. And then as soon as I got to where my destination, I had to go teach or I had to go train. It's just like, it's not, it's not, I'm not. I, yeah, I guess it's it's interesting because like I think at some point as a professional, like if you're going to choose to try to be the highest level at whatever you do, you are selfish to a degree. Like you have to be. There's just no question about it. You can't put the need. You can't put like the needs of all these people necessarily in front of you know your needs as a professional because you won't be that. You're trying to be elite, so everything you do essentially has to be in the pursuit of being the best at your given craft. Right. So it puts you in this position where you kind of have to be selfish. It's like, yeah, I love my family and everything like that. And, you know, if something terrible happens, like I'm there, don't get me wrong. 
Um, and the same thing with my friends. I, you know, I'm definitely the person you can call at 3 a.m. and I'm going to show up. But uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, when it comes to like the little, you know, the little things here and there, like making a phone call or a text message, this, that, and the other thing, it all falls to the wayside. And a lot of relationships get ruined because of that. Um, so as far as that concerns, I, I don't, I don't manage that stuff very mm. well. Um, it, it was, it's very difficult for me. And you talked about that tunnel vision before. That's exactly it. I have this tunnel vision on what I I'm trying to accomplish. And, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of white noise on the outside, you know, falls to the wayside, even sometimes stuff with my business. You know, I run a, a jujitsu school and I've been so hyper-focused on my professional career that sometimes like the little you know, things with the business, like I don't have insurance for my school right now. Like mm-hmm. I haven't had it for three years. I've been being dogged by my, the guy that rents the building. Hopefully they don't hear this. I doubt they would, but oh well, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah. you gotta, you, you know, you gotta get insurance, whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have it. Like, I just haven't given you that as the paperwork. Like, yeah. So like, I mean, little things like that, that are huge. Like that's a big deal. That's a problem. Like I could get sued at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, probably shouldn't be saying this stuff, but, but <laughs> Love like, stuff that just, you have to get insurance. Stuff, <laughs> stuff that literally just doesn't get done because I'm so hyper-focused on whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, in some ways then again, like with the ADHD, like, yeah, you have that hyper-focus, but then I can switch from thing to thing so easily and just forget about all my other problems. And sometimes it's an issue. Sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of sacrifices that go into that. And, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not selfish, like I'm definitely selfish because uh, I put priority number one as trying to be the best at what I do. And uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe one, one day it'll change or maybe I'll put more effort into certain relationships or put more effort into other things. We'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of failed relationships, a lot of, you know, disrupted when it comes to like, you know, talking to my family, um, and personal life and things like that obviously suffers. I very few times, like, am I really, you know, going out or enjoying myself too, too often? You know, many times it's times like this where I'm actually traveling, getting ready to compete that I ever even get an opportunity to do anything. And then I got to be careful because it's like, I have a competition coming up. Like, do I want to be going out to the bars Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night? Like right before I'm going to go compete against somebody, you know, you got to weigh, you know, your, your things here. you want to enjoy life, but you also want to win. And, you know, my instructor, Tom DeBlas, my original instructor, uh, always told me, he sat somebody down one time um, and he he was doing cross country, right? But he was exceptional at jujitsu. Um, like he had just a knack for it, like a very good ability. And the kid, um, he was like, yeah, you know, like I, I enjoy it or whatever. I, I won't be able to do jujitsu for the next six months or so because I got to run and, you know, prepare for the sport. And he's like, so... Tom's like, do you, do you see like a, a future in that? Like, do you, you know, is it something that you want to do like professionally? Like, is it, is it something that, you know, you think you're going to be successful with whatever the case would be? He's like, no, you know, like, I, you know, it's just fun for me. Like, I just like enjoy it, whatever the case may be. And he said something interesting and, you know, I don't think it resonated with the kid because I don't even think he trains anymore. Um, but he's like, you know, what's fun for me? Winning. <laughs> and like yeah. I, being the best. He's like, I see in your future, you could be the best at this. I don't know if you see that you could, you're in your future that you're going to be the best at cross country or if you even care, but I'll tell you this right now. If you dedicate your time to it, you could be the best at this. And that's not what resonates with everybody for Mm -hmm. sure. And that's okay. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, look down on anybody that doesn't think that way, but that's definitely in my mind, the way that I think it's like the biggest thing in my head is like, I want to be successful. I want to win. I want to be the best. Like, 
that's what is fun for me. Although all those other extracurricular activities, somebody's be like, oh yeah, you know, well, he's not enjoying his life, but I am. I'm just enjoying it in a different way than you are. You know, people have, isn't it funny how people have a hard time with that though? Like, because it's not their way. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's so many people. And I think it's really common when you meet guys uh, at your level that you guys have this inner drive to be the best like that. Is that something you think uh, stems from childhood? Like, how did you grow (laughs) up? And (laughs) yeah, I'm extremely competitive. That's for sure. Uh, In everything that I do, Uh, Gordon jokes all the time. He, he, every, every little thing that like pops up, whether it's like bowling, this, that, and the other thing, I've always like dipped my, my hand in so many different sports and so many different activities. Like, he's like, have you done everything? Like he gets pissed off sometimes. Cause like, obviously we're very competitive <laughs> at jujitsu, but there's a lot of assets. I'm a little older than him. He's my, my main training partner and my main student. And, uh, you know, he gets frustrated sometimes when I'll like beat him at like some, you know, recreational Ping activity pong. or yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck, man. He's like, fuck, you know, do you know how to it. do everything? This is bullshit. You know? <laughs> um, because I'm, I, I was so hyper competitive. And so every time I did one of those things, like, you know, I tried to be very good at it and, you know, maybe I didn't stick with it, but I have like a little bit of knowledge here or there, uh, and everywhere. And, uh, yeah, I think from, from an early age, I, I was, I always had this drive to do really well at whatever I was doing. I think what switched though was when put in an environment, I was extremely competitive, right? Like I did bowling for like two years when I was a kid, right? Like, yeah, I wanted to be very good at it. But on the outside, like say like as soon as I went home, it's not like I was going to go watch tape of other people bowling. (laughs) I wasn't going to like look up ways that I can improve really. Like in the moment I was competitive, but outside the moment, eh, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I was worried about other things or another activity. I think where that, that huge switch over came for my whole entire life, I just believed like, oh, I was going to pick up a sport and like a Disney movie, I was going to find like a lucky hockey stick and suddenly become the best at fucking hockey or something, you know? <laughs> but it just, life doesn't work that way. But like all of my experiences in life were like that. Like you watch a movie and over the course of two hours, a guy comes from nothing and becomes something amazing, you know? And that's just not how life works. There's so much hard work and sacrifice in between, but I didn't see that at a young age. I didn't realize what it takes to be the best at something. I wasn't going to just pick up a ball and be the best at something. Like I had to go out of my way, make the extra effort my entire life to try to be the best at something. Once I started doing jujitsu, I saw my coach, Tom, the blast doing that. And I was like, Oh, this is how I get good at something. Mm -hmm. Like I dedicate all my time to it. Not just like I show up and train really hard. Like that's good for the day, but it's not good forever. You know, like it's not going to make me the best ever, you know. Not at that level. Uh, Yeah. Do you do anything outside of the normal ranges of training and nutrition to improve your performance like meditation or cold hot therapy or anything like that? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, <laughs> I probably should do more stuff. Like I, I definitely, you know, with my injuries and things, I probably should get more massages and stuff like that. And I'm sure that would help. I started doing physical therapy, uh, for certain injuries. I'm a, I'm a big believer, big believer in not telling people what my injuries are. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say specifically what I've been doing physical therapy mm-hmm. to improve. Um, but yeah, I've, I, I've been sense. doing some of that recently. It's just difficult. Like I, the only reason I'm able to do it is because there's a guy in my gym helping me out, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he's been nice enough to do that. And because it's hard for me to just take time out of my day to go drive to a physical therapist and get sure. that done. Mm-hmm. Like for the longest time, I've wanted to go train gymnastics somewhere to, to like 
go improve my gymnastic abilities, but I just don't have the time to go drive to somebody. And I want to pay somebody to teach privates, but those guys are so busy with their thing. Like they're not going to go, mm-hmm. you know, come to me and do that. So it's, it's such a difficult process. Um, so honestly, like what you kind of, what you said, I don't do a whole lot when it comes to that kind of stuff to improve my athletic performance. There's probably a lot that I could be doing, but yeah, I, I, I miss out on a lot of that stuff in the future. I think I'll, I'll get better at it. As I get older and older, it's going to become more and more necessary. You know, uh, I'm 25 right now and, uh, you know, I have a pretty decent ability to recover, but what I started noticing is that somewhere around like 22, 23, every injury I got just kind of you heal a little bit, but it sticks with you, man. Mm. There's no like a hundred percent healing. You get 35. It keeps on going like that. Right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You know, I'm sure that stuff's going to become more and more important. Um, you know, I definitely take some anti-inflammatories and stuff, you know, to, uh, for certain injuries and things. And, and that's like a, a big thing for me. Uh, I started taking, I don't know, do you, I mean, you guys have like a pretty good background in like all this stuff. So maybe you would know for, for sure, maybe some scientific studies or something. Started taking uh, turmeric. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard, cause I was trying to look up m- more ways to get anti-inflammatories that like, I'm not just taking popping more Advil, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Um, so I looked up, I looked that up uh, and I started taking that and it, feels like it makes a difference you never really know you turmeric know? turmeric can definitely have uh, a like a, a good systemic effect on inflammation the problem with things like the uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen sure. and, and aleve and those types of things is that over time they actually can contribute to uh, uh, muscle weakening and uh you know issues in the joint so they can actually contribute ah. to ge- degeneration what yeah. happens is that inflammatory response that you get, it's an important signal. So you don't want to eliminate inflammation because your body needs it yeah. to target areas that you want to heal. Sure, sure. And the natural stuff like turmeric or even just changing your diet, that's probably the best thing you could do is eat more uh, greens, eat more fish, drink more mm-hmm. water, uh, get good sleep. Those are the probably yeah. the, you know eat less sugar. Those are the most effective things you could do for overall. You mean there's not the magic pill, man? Unfortunately, <laughs> you mean I have yeah. to change my lifestyle? <laughs> no. Sorry, man. Screw yeah. that shit. I'll tell you what we will. I'm gonna do. keep searching for this magic pill. I tell you what we will. <laughs> Seems do. a lot easier. Doctor Oz, got something, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what'll help this guy quite a bit is Prime. So yeah. what we should probably do is hook him up with Maps Prime, yeah, so yeah. he can. So we have a program where it. It shows you kind of how to quote unquote warm up or what to do before you work out. Yeah. Um, and it takes about 10 minutes, but it sets up your CNS yeah. uh, real well. So when you go do your workout, things are more connected. Honestly, so I've we'll noticed set you up with that. a couple times recently leading up to some competitions. Actually, one time, it was actually right before EBI. Um, and I'll talk about this injury because it's not a systemic injury. It's just something that happened in an instant. I was warming up and I fucking pulled my glute. You know, like right, like literally like second movement oh, of the fucking wow. warm up, And I'm like, oh. fuck, man. I mean, it wasn't debilitating. It's not it's something you can easily work around. It wasn't like a huge tear, but I definitely like I felt it. It was annoying. It hurt. Um, I Lately, I've been getting a lot of those, you know, kind of weird off injuries mm-hmm. right as I'm starting to warm up or whatever the case may be, or, or maybe I'll jump into practice without warming up and I'll get hurt. It hadn't happened for the longest time. And, you know, maybe it's just, I'm getting to that age or my, my body's deteriorated to a point where I can't do that anymore. I can't just jump into activity. Uh, but I definitely need to do, I've been trying to change it 
you know, I've been trying to warm up a little bit better. Um, so that'd be cool, man. You know, if it's something that yeah, no, you guys that would find be, prime would really be huge good. for that. It, yeah, it would make a huge difference. So great, uh, excellent, great. man. Well, hey, it's been great talking to you, brother. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's been awesome, absolute guys. blast. Good time. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you like Mind Pump, leave us a five star rating and review on iTunes. If we like your review and we pick it, you'll get a free Mind Pump T-shirt. Also, check us out on Instagram at Mind Pump Radio. You can find me at Mind Pump Sal, Adam is at Mind Pump Adam, and Justin is at Mind Pump Justin. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes Maths Anabolic, Maths Performance, and Maths Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. Mind Pump.